Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead us, show us what you would want us to see from this. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 12. In, in chapter 11, Jesus had gone to dinner with the Pharisee at the Pharisee's house, and he had some really nice things to say about him. He said six things that made them mad that were recorded. And so we continue from there in, in 12. Chapter 12, verse 1. In the meantime, there were gathered together innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trode one upon another. And he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, Beware you the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever you have spoken in the darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which you have spoken in the closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that, shall, that kill the body, and afterward have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he has killed the killed has power to cast you into hell and say unto you fear not fear him are not five sparrows sold for two farthings and are not them one and and not one of them is forgotten before god but even the very hairs of your hair are numbered fear not therefore you are you not of more value than many sparrows also i say unto you whosoever shall confess me before men shall him shall the son of man also confess before the angels of god but he that denieth me before man shall be denied before the angels of God. Whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man shall be forgiven. But him that blasphemes against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven. And when they being you into the synagogues and unto the magistrates and the powers, take no thought of what you, of how or what things you shall answer or what you shall say. For the Holy Spirit shall teach you this in that same hour what you ought to say. So here we have Jesus talking to the disciples, preparing them. And we talked last time, we're in a transition period in this book where we're switching from people accepting Jesus' message to the scribes, Pharisees, and Sanhedrin actively trying to get rid of Jesus. So he is now preparing the disciples for this transition. You know, we're, we're going to be hated everywhere we go. And it says, he went out and an innumerable multitude... Now, the interesting thing when this comes out, when you look at it, it literally means thousands of thousands. The crowd outside was large. And if you're familiar with medieval ancient cities, they did not have large, wide roads. All right, they had very narrow roadways. So if you're going to scream, squeeze a thousand people in this roadway that Jesus is walking on, it said they trod, they trod, they walked on each other. They were being basically rude and pushing each other around and all of that. There's a crowd of people out there. And Jesus doesn't speak to them. He speaks to his disciples as he's going forward on this. And the first thing he's going to tell them, he says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And, you know, he's coming out of the Pharisees' home. <laughs> and they're not happy with him already. And he's saying, beware of the leaven or the sin of the Pharisees. And he says, it is hypocrisy. It is so easy for us to be hypocritical. We say one thing and do another. It, it happens all the time. And Jesus is saying, beware of that. And the Pharisees were really bad at it. They would teach people not to do something and then go out and do exactly what they told them not to do. And they were just bold with it. They didn't even accidentally fall into hypocrisy. 
But you know, the strange thing is, I mean, we talk to people a lot of times and they'll go, well, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. Well, I think that's a very interesting statement because yes, the church is full of hypocrites for the most part to say one thing and do another. But they're going to go to the bar that's full of hypocrites. They're going to go to the game that's full of hypocrites. They're going to go to work full of hypocrites. But they don't complain that those places are full of hypocrites. You know, it's just when they're talking about the church. Now, I understand what they're saying because it should not be that way here. It should not be that way, but we are all human. We're all going to look and say, God says this, and then end up doing the opposite thing that we're, that we're trying to do. Our job is to try not to be that way, but he says, beware. Be aware that this is happening. And he is actually speaking against religion. All right. And this is something that we've talked about. Christianity is not a religion. It is not a set of rules that we live by that says, follow these 28 rules and you'll get to heaven. That's what religion does. If you've ever been in religion, that's what they do. They give you a whole bunch of rules and say, do this. The Jews just had 613 uh, rules, just a few. And all those rules were what you did to get to please God as far as they were concerned. What Christianity is, is a relationship with God himself. God knows that we cannot keep rules. And there's not a one of us in this room that keeps rules, all the rules that we know. Uh, you know. We don't even keep God's rules. We don't keep man's rules. And God knows we don't even keep our own rules. You know, we're coming in on March, and what they tell us that every one of us, that everybody who has made a New Year's resolution by now has already broken it. Okay, That was your own rule. If you're somebody who makes resolutions, you made your own rule and have probably, by, if you're the standard person, broken your, your, your rule. God already knows we cannot keep rules. This is why Jesus came to this world to die for our sins. He obeyed all the rules and died for our sins and became sin for us. So that God could then say, I can accept you because you accepted the gift of, this, of my son. And this is the whole reason he came. And he irritated the scribes and Pharisees because they were religious and they had extra rules beyond God's rules. So God gave them a bunch of rules in the scripture and then they added a whole bunch of rules on top of that and said, if you really want to be spiritual, you've got to do, said, you've got to do all of these things to, to be spiritual. And we want to be very careful of that because it is easy for us to fall into that problem. You know, well, I've been walking with God so long, and this is, well, you're going to walk with God. Or, I have been walking with God for only three days, and I know how you're supposed to walk with God. It gets very interesting. You know, I, I love it when somebody first gets saved, and everybody, they're trying to get everybody to be saved, and, and, they're, telling, and they're really tactful about the way they, they go around telling people to get, you know, get saved. you got to get saved, you're going to hell. <laughs> well, it is a true statement. If they're not saved, they're, they're going to hell. But you know, they come across so harsh that even though they're saying it in love and, and desire, that's not what is heard. But it is true that if you're not saved and you're not accepting Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross, then your alternative is to spend eternity in hell. And we want to be careful because this is what he's saying about the scribes and Pharisees. He says, you're putting on all these rules upon people and you're not even going to be in heaven either. Now, is that saying all the rules are bad? No, the rules are very good. There's good consequences to obeying God's rules. The consequences is not getting to heaven. It's just not having to suffer the bad consequences on earth. 
But we need to be able to understand, the more I walk with God, the more he's indwelling me, the more I'm going to want to be like him because he changes me from the inside out and makes me to be more like him. And because all of his rules and laws are in, his, his, in part of who he is, as I become more like him, I will become more obedient to him. And it's not to please him, it's not to, uh, not to earn heaven, but to please him. And then he says to them, that nothing shall be hidden. Everything shall be revealed. Nothing spoken in the closet will, will be not go inherited and proclaimed from the rooftop. There are so many people that are in self-righteous position. They think if I just hide my sin well enough that nobody knows and knows that I'm, you know, nobody knows I'm a hypocrite, that it won't come out. God brings out sin. It will be revealed if you do not confess it and put it under the blood. And this happens over and over. We see it frequently with many of these evangelists and everything who, who all of a sudden their sins come out. You know, they've been committing fornication and adultery and all of a sudden everybody knows it. The good news for us is if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. And if we confess our sins and he puts them under the blood and we repent, then he does not need them to be brought out. If you try to hide your sin, God will say, we're going to show it to you. How many people will see it? Directly and proportionate to how much influence you have. If you're a family man and that is your whole, whole routine is to be honest to your family, your family will get to see your sins that, that you're trying to hide. We need to be very careful because God says to confess. We need to be able to come to him and say, God, I repent of this sin. And we confess it, which means to say the same thing as, you know, we don't go to God and say, God, I'm sorry I fell into this mistake. That's not a confession. That's an excuse that I wasn't responsible for my behavior. God, I have done this, and you say it's a sin. I admit that it's a sin, and I repent. I turn away from it. That is what confession and repentance is about, and that is what God says, okay, your sin is covered. And when he covers our sins, he's not going to expose them. But if we do not let him cover our sins, he tells us he's going to expose it. Now, he doesn't always expose it right away. He may let it go on for a long time before it's exposed. And, you know, we've said this several times, you know, if the consequences of sin hit us immediately, we would probably all stop sinning real quick. I like using gluttony because it makes a great example. You know, if you're a glutton, gluttonous person, which means you eat a lot, and you immediately showed up, uh, you, ate, you ate that box of donuts, the whole dozen donuts, and then immediately a dozen donuts worth of weight popped up on your, on your belly or your hips, you'd stop being a glutton pretty quick. But it doesn't work that way. It usually works months and months afterwards, and we continually do this, and we continually do it, and then we see the results, and then we go, well, how did I get so big? Well, it might, have, might be the fact that you are a glutton. I know that was true for me. I'm glad I'm losing weight the other way, but, you know, but God does not immediately bring the results of our sin on us. He allows us to have time to repent. And sometimes that means we think we're getting away with it. Well, God, I've been doing it so long, it's just you haven't gotten, you, you don't care. You don't care about what I'm doing. And God says, yes, I do. I'm giving you a chance 
to repent. Or if you want to use it in the vernacular, I'm giving you enough rope to hang yourself. All right? And God says, okay, keep going, keep going, keep going. The rope is going to run out here pretty soon, and you're going to step off the cliff. And, and then all of a sudden, everything is revealed, and this is what he tells us. Keep your sins short before God. Keep them repentance in your heart. And then he says, you know, but be forewarned, fear him. Uh, he says, don't fear people, but fear God. This one is really hard for most of us to live by. We go, God, I really, really want to tell people about you. But they might think I'm a crazy person. They might think I'm not with it. They might, not, they might think I'm behind the times. And we're fearing people. We're fearing the attitude of people. And God said, and Jesus is telling them, be afraid of God, not the people. This one I think is very apropos because we are looking at facing the end times here. There is coming a time when we will be facing judgment and tribulation from people, probably sooner than we expect. I look at the news and go, this is crazy what we're seeing out there. There's going to be a time when we are going to be asked, do you believe in Christ and are you willing to stand for him? And at the very least, we'll be sent into prison and if, or possibly even lose our life and become martyrs. It's not too far-fetched to see that coming our way. Where are you with God? Now, I'd like to be able to say, God, I'm ready to die for you, and I would probably say that. I'm also not facing a guillotine or, or a sword or, or a gas chamber or anything right now, but I'm hoping that when I do, that God's going to give me the grace to say, yes, I am going to, to die for you. I'm also willing to face the anger, anger and ag irritation of people by speaking for God. So I think I'll be, yes, I'll say yes when it's time to actually lose this life and go forward. I've had people tell me, well, I'll die for God, and I'm going, I have never even heard you talk about God. Now, you're telling me you'll die for God. I don't believe it. Where are you with God today while there's no threat? How many times have you shared Jesus with other people? Or are you afraid or ashamed that, well, if I say something, they're not going to, they're going to make fun of me. They're going to, they're going to laugh me out. They're going to think that something's wrong. If you can't even do it today with no real hardship involved, you won't do it when your life is online. It's the type of people I've heard them, well, I will tithe, you know, I hope I win the lottery, and if I win the lottery, I'm going to tithe. Are you tithing now? Nope, don't have enough money. You won't tithe when you win the lottery. You know, number one, you probably won't, but, you know, but the point is, if they're not tithing now, they're not, they won't tithe when they have a lot of money either. You know, but a lot of people like to fool themselves. God, if, if only this were true, I would be this. Your character now will be who, what you, who and what you are if you had what you think you wanted, which means you won't, tr you won't serve God. If you won't serve him now, you won't serve him later. We need to be able to lift him up and say, God, I trust you. What, and I've said this several times, what is the worst that anybody can do to you for serving God? They can almost kill you. Because if they kill you, they do a great favor to you. They send you home. <laughs> they can almost kill you so that you have to suffer, and then they do it all over again. That's the worst that they can do for you. But God is still on your side, even if you get the worst that can happen to you. We need to learn to trust him. 
you know, we think, and we love the story of David and Goliath. You know, David was so wonderful, and he went out and killed Goliath. How would we have reacted if we were listening to that giant mocking God? Well, look at that giant over there. He sure is big. You know, he's nine and a half feet tall. He's got lots of weaponry on him. I'm not, you know, I'm going to just shut my mouth and not say a word. And, and we laugh, but most of us would have been that, like everybody else in the army. Uh, giant's too big. Uh, he's too strong. I'm not going to stand up. David said, he is mocking God. God will be my deliverance. We need to have that attitude. When somebody is mocking God, mocking Christianity, mocking, mocking things that are righteous and holy, do we stand up and speak out against it? And there's all kinds of places where this can happen. You know, we've got uh, adultery, fornication, homosexuality being accepted. We've got abortion and murdering of our children being accepted. And are we speaking out and saying that life is precious, God's laws are precious? Or are we just going along with the crowd and saying, oh, well, can't stop it anyway. Just evil is going to win. Where are we standing for God? Are we whimpering in a corner, afraid? Or are we taking a stand? Revivals don't start without a stand being taken. A revival doesn't start without people of God saying, I am going to stand with God. And then we watch what God does when he comes to battle. There is no way David should have defeated Goliath. Little, little short guy that's uh, barely out of his teens, you know, still in his teens against a, a man who's been fighting wars all of his life. Gideon, with his 300 men, battling against 90,000 know, men. No way he should have won that battle, but he listened to God and he stood up for God. We can go through the scripture over and over again where people stood with God in a time when they should not have been victorious and came out victorious. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, I, loved, I have always loved their answer to Nebuchadnezzar when he said, bow down and see what, you know, and then he goes, when they say, we will not bow down, he goes, well, see what, you can, what your God can do against me. And I have always loved their answer. Whether he delivers us or not, we will serve the Lord. And they were thrown into the fire and I could just picture it. They're walking around, you know, enjoy, enjoying the flame because it's not burning them. It's not touching them. And the fourth man in the fire with them comes, and it's Jesus. And they're in there warming their hands in the fire, <laughs> just enjoying it because they served God, and God delivered them. Does it mean that everything will go easy for us if we're following him? Absolutely not. You know, Paul followed God really well. He got chased out of towns that he was into. He got stoned. He got uh, whipped. He got beat. He got shipwrecked. He got, you know, you, you name it, it happened to him. He even died and was resurrected. Yeah. But are we willing to take that stand and say, God, I am ready through your grace to go through whatever comes my way? We want to say yes most of the times, but the question is, if we can't do it now, we will not do it when the trials come. How strong are you willing to stand for God? Or are you going to whimper in a corner and wait for, wait for his grace to take you to heaven and, and be, be a failure? We need to stand up and say, God, I am on your side by your strength. We sang that song, Wonderful Grace of Jesus. Grace is getting everything we don't deserve. We do not deserve anything that God gives us. 
And the things that we do deserve, he gives us his mercy and doesn't make it as bad as it's supposed to be. He doesn't give us what we deserve. But he gives us strength. He gives us everything that we need to do to live for him and stand up against those authorities that are going to question us. What a great belief that we have because he is the one that does it all. We come up to him. And then he goes, you know, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, about a tenth of a, tenth of a dollar, about a dime? Two sparrows for about a dime. And he goes, and the father knows every sparrow. And we look at those birds flying around all the time. We're going, oh, most of the time we think the birds are a nuisance, especially if you're trying to grow things and, and the crows like to eat all your stuff you're growing and, and they're always you know, in your field eating your flowers and your plants. And he says, God knows them. And then he says even further, he knows every hair on our head. Now, for some of us, we're losing our hair pretty quick. It's pretty easy to know the hairs on our head, but God knows the hairs on our head. What is he bringing out? God knows everything. He knows everything because that goes right back to what he said. Those things said in secret, those things done in secret, God was there. Do we truly understand the omnipresence of God? He is everywhere. He is there when you're doing the sin. And I, I really kind of find, find it funny. People go, well, I wouldn't do this if God know, knew what I was doing. Uh, well, you've got to cut that back. You know, God already knows what you've done because he was there when you did it. He was there when you spoke it. But I was by myself. God was there when you spoke it. He knows everything. Not only does he know everything that you have done now and before, he knows what you will do. Because he's already there. He's already in the, he's the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. He is already experienced what we think is in the future. So he knows exactly what we're going to do and the things we're going to say. So we need to be very careful about how do we see God. Do we fully understand who he is, his power, his knowledge? This is why our memory verse says, who can search the understanding of God? We can search it, we can begin to understand it, but we'll never understand his understanding. And this is the beauty of this. We serve a God who loves us in spite of what we do, say, and think. He still loves us. He loves us so much that Jesus died on the cross for us because he says, you can't do it yourself. I want to die for you so that you can then come to heaven. What a beautiful action. Does this mean we get to go do whatever we want? God, you know, Paul says, you know, that where grace or sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And then he answers, you know, well, people are going to say, well, then I should go out and sin. He goes, God forbid. We're all going to do enough sin without purposely sinning for grace to abound. And I've said this over and over. I am not immune to sin. I sin a lot. And I'm not purposing to go out and sin, but I sin a lot. And grace abounds. Grace abounds in you. Do not let Satan lie to you. If you're God's child and you have sinned, do not let Satan lie to you and tell you that you are worthless and can't be used by God because that is a lie. You go to God, you confess your sin, you turn back to him, and God redeems I have seen many people who are just so defeated because they just had a sin in their life that keeps defeating them. Do not let that happen to you. 
The purpose that God came was to make us righteous. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he comes in and he puts his righteousness on us and he says we're perfect. That's God's statement about us. We are perfect. Now we don't live that way. None of us, including me, don't live that way. But the Father says, you have accepted Jesus Christ's sacrifice. You are perfect. Now he will spend our entire life sanctifying us, making us who he said we are. And the good news is the day that our body dies, he will glorify us and make us who he says we are. And we will actually be who he said we were. You know, it's wonderful worshiping a God that's outside of time. God deals with us as we will be, not as we are. And we need to be able to understand that when we are in Christ Jesus, there's perfection in us. Not that we can be perfect, because it is God's grace that makes us perfect. And he says, fear God, and God cares for us. And then he goes on to speak, he says, those who confess me before men will be confessed before the angels. Those that deny me before God will be denied before the angels. Now, this is not our salvation because this is, you know, this is not what it's talking about, our salvation, but he, the confession. My greatest hope and desire when I get to heaven is going to be, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the presence of the Father. I do not want to hear, you got in by the skin of your teeth, only by the grace of God, you didn't serve me at all. Now, I would be glad to be in heaven even with that statement. But I really want to hear, well done, that I have served him well. And I hope that I have. But I also understand I have a greater responsibility because I have a greater understanding of him, which means I have a greater responsibility to be able to live up to. And this is something we all have to understand. Many people are going to hear, well done, and all they did was accept Jesus, and they died and went to heaven. And that's all they knew. And he's going to say, well done. Those of us who have been studying for 50, 50 plus years, know God really well, we have a much higher standard to be able to serve him. And I've shared this with, uh, with us all the time. Many people will look at a pastor or an evangelist or somebody who's really been walking with God for a long time, standing up in front of a group and saying, wow, they must have all kinds of rewards. Maybe, maybe not. They've also got a lot of accountability because they know more. And if they don't follow everything that they know, then they are just as bad off as somebody that didn't know. But we want to be able to understand, you know, who is the greatest in the church? Probably the prayer warrior that nobody knows about. The true prayer warrior who actually prays and sees answers to their prayers. Not the people who claim to be prayer warriors. There's all kinds of people who claim to be prayer warriors. And I've asked many of them, okay, well, tell me the last thing that got answered. Well, about 20 years ago, uh, this prayer got, no, no, don't tell me you're a prayer warrior. Uh, prayer warriors get their, get their prayers answered. The person in the church who just does nothing but clean the church may be the greatest thing because that's their gift. And they're fully implementing their gift. We don't know where we are with our gifts. Where are we with our service for God? Just standing up here and preaching is not going to say, I've got the greatest gifts. I do know God's word. I try to obey it as best of my ability. I'm hoping that I'm doing it very well. 
but I also know that I have a greater responsibility because of the knowledge that I have for him. Serve God with your whole heart wherever he's asked you to serve. Whatever it is, serve well. At whatever capacity he's asked you to serve. And for some people that are getting older, you might have less, less requirements for service than you did when you were younger. You know, there is a time when we lose our strength, we lose our, lose our ability to get things done, and God says, well, I don't. At that point, only by the grace of God can I go out and do, serve him strong with strength. But again, all of it is his grace anyway. All of it is his grace when I'm starting to walk with him. And we really do need to understand the power of grace. Too many times in churches we forget about God's grace. God, I have been walking with you so long, I've got my whole life put together. Well, I hope you never think that way because God will show you very quickly that your whole life is not put together. We're told that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? Every time I've gotten to a place in my life where I thought I had arrived, God let me see into my heart. And it's like, uh, God, can we close that back up? I don't want to see that. I, I thought I was pretty put, put together here. And God says, nope. We will never have our whole life put together because our heart is deceitful. All we can do is let God keep working more and more of his righteousness into us. Now, yes, compared to my, myself from 20, 20 years, 30, 40 years ago, yes, I am much more righteous and put together than I was back then. But when I compare myself to God, I'm not even close. And this is the question. Who is our standard? In the world, they're going, well, I'm better than... Out at the prison, I hear that all the time. I'm, I'm better than most people I know. Well, that's wonderful. Most of the people you know are prisoners. So I'm really glad that you're better than all the other prisoners. But isn't that what we all do? I'm better than, and we pick all the people that are not better than us, and we ignore all the people that are better than, that we think are better than us, to try to say we're better than. We need to be looking and saying, how am I compared to God? This will stop all hypocrisy. This will stop all my comparison because now I'm going to deal with others by grace because that's how God deals with me. And I'll start dealing more with other people through grace. Does that mean that there aren't any rules to follow and anything to look at? No, the rules are there. The rules are, are important. But grace is what matters. We need to look at grace and how it applies to people. And then he says that if you blasphemy, speak against Jesus... You'll be forgiven, but if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you will not be forgiven. Now, this takes us into a whole discussion about what is the unpardonable sin. Everybody talks about the unpardonable sin. And I've had people go, I think I've committed the unpardonable sin. And I tell them right straight up, if you've committed the unpardonable sin, you wouldn't have been worrying about it anyway because you, it's unpardonable and it means you're really, really evil. What is the unpardonable sin? To reject Jesus Christ. What's the Holy Spirit's job? To convict us of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to tell you right now, there is no way that you commit the unpardonable sin until you die. If you die without accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've committed the unpardonable sin and you're going to hell. Everybody who's in hell has committed the unpardonable sin. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
You're going to heaven. You may not have many rewards. You may have lots of rewards, but you will go to heaven because that is why he came. And you go, well, how do I accept Jesus Christ? It's very easy. You confess, God, I am a sinner. I deserve all the punishment that you come. Thank you for dying for my sins. Come into my life and be my Lord. And then you're going to change your, change your lifestyle because now he's going to indwell you and there will be a simple thing. And you go, well, that is so simple. Yeah, absolutely, it's so simple, most adults won't do it. Because most adults go, what is my part? Surrender to God. Well, I needed to do more of that. Surrender to God. Well, how do I do? Surrender. I love talking to people about how do you surrender. Because bluntly, to surrender is you just surrender. And my example is, if we were all sitting here in this room and the police were out there with the bullhorn and said, come out with your hands up, we have a choice, don't we? We go through that door with our hands up and we surrender. Or we say, come and get me. You know, and believe me, they would eventually come in and get us. <laughs> but that is what it means to surrender. I just give up. Now, I understand how hard it is to do because there's been many times in my life where I have not surrendered. I have fought God tooth and nail. And when I finally surrendered, I was like kicking myself saying, why didn't I do this so long ago? Because it was so easy to do. When you're in the middle of it and you want to fight, it's hard to surrender. If you're God's child, he's going to get you to surrender. He will put you just like the police in there. They'll fire, they'll fire in the, the tear gas, the gas grenades. They'll surround the place so that you can't get out, starve you. God is real good about doing that stuff for you as well. The times I fought with him and fought with him and fought with him and finally surrendered, and it's like, why did I fight so long? My encouragement for you is learn to surrender to God. Give up your pride. Give up your way of doing things and say, God, I am just going to do it your way. Because I'm going to tell you, God is stronger than you are. He's more patient than you are. He's got more... Uh, at, at his disposal than you have, he will win. He will win when you're his child. He will win. If you're not his child, he'll let you go do what you want because his whole goal is for you to come and be his child first. But when we're his child, then we'll start feeling this idea that I am doing wrong. We will feel the guilt. We will feel the desire that we're not that we're, we're doing the wrong thing and we should confess and surrender to him. This is what he's talking about. Get to know God. Get to know his grace. And so he says, you know, they will bring you into these things and the spirit will give you the words to speak. I can't tell you how many times I've been sharing the gospel with somebody, talk, talking to them, and all of a sudden, I am starting to listen to myself speak because it's no longer me speaking, it's the Holy Spirit speaking through me and I'm going, wow, this is interesting. The Holy Spirit will fill your mouth. Learn to be willing to step out and start the conversation. How do you witness to somebody? Just be bold and start talking to them. Tell them about what God has done for you. This is so much of the important thing. Can you remember when you got saved and you had that lightness of your spirit when your sins were, were taken off and you're going, oh, I am just excited and at peace for being with God. And then you look at how he changes you day by day. 
from glory to glory he's changing me is what Paul said in Corinthians is your life being changed are you becoming more like God day by day now how do we find out if we're changing day by day we don't look at our own life day by day we look at it year by year decade by decade am I more like God today than I was last year 10 years ago if the answer is no you might want to look and say am I God's child <laughs> or am I in very deep rebellion with him because there should be this changed life as God is working in you not because I'm trying to earn heaven but because he is in me making me like himself and this is the beautiful gift that we have from God he says I paid your debt if you accept that payment you will be changed and this is the beauty of becoming a new creation in Christ I turn my life over to him I surrender my life to him he comes in and he starts changing me and my life becomes better not perfect not without trials and tribulations because he promises us trials and tribulations but he is with us in the middle of those trials and tribulations and I am able to walk with him and say thank you thank you for all that you've done Lord we just thank you for this day Lord help us to see you to understand you to follow you help us to see you more in all that we do and we just thank you for this and Lord we just ask that right now if there's anybody listening to this today in this room or on the internet that no, doesn't know you that today they will say Lord I'm a sinner I accept your gift of salvation come in and save me and Lord for the rest of us teach us to surrender to you help us learn to surrender in all that we do and we thank you in Jesus name amen listening friend do you know where you'll go after you die without the gift of Jesus it will be an eternity in hell without God Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.